Right, I think I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Cool. Let's rock and roll. Hey, 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 it's time for another Beard of Finn podcast episode and thanks for joining me. Before I get into this week's episode, I would just like to touch on something which I haven't really touched on too much previously and that is how do I fund the podcast. So I fund the podcast by selling apparel and I do so under the brand Nerve Apparel. So I make all my Bearded Fin podcast uh, supporter apparel that you guys are more than welcome to purchase if you would like to do so as well as I um, do branded shirts for other businesses that I work with. So we supply t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, hoodies, um, as well as dry fit shirts. So if you'd like to support the podcast, please do so by buying a, a Beard of Fin podcast hoodie or t-shirt. Or if you're a business that's looking for brand clothing, please reach out to us at Nova Apparel. We'd appreciate that. Right. So on to this week's episode. This In this week's episode, I chatted to Hank Kutsia. If you're an adventure motorcyclist here in South Africa, you will probably recognize him from the series uh, Look What You're Missing, which was broadcast on Ignition TV some years ago. So Hank and I had an, an awesome conversation which spanned a couple of hours. We spoke about bikes, we spoke about training, we spoke about motorcycle tours, we spoke about the GS Trophy, which he was involved in, uh, as well as... Um, what it took to uh, shoot the documentary, Look What You're Missing. So, because of the length of the of the conversation, I've decided to split it into two parts. So this week will be part one, next week will be part two, and uh, without wasting any more time, here is part one. I hope you enjoy. What do you do? Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> the power just got out. That's uh, my wife picking switches here, <laughs> sorting out <laughs> yeah, I was animals chatting. and putting animals away. And stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was chatting to um, Thomas uh, from Sobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sobby, yeah. And uh, his power went out while we were chatting. <laughs> and his generator was working, but then the but then he was using 3G, and then the obviously uh, the tower he, in Sobby went down, and then oh, we had to postpone until the next day. So Small yeah. town exercises. I can yeah. just imagine. I mean, even here, sometimes it's, uh, it's just frustrating. Um, especially, we obviously on... Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, anyway, we used to be on like a dial-up, not a dial-up, but a you know like the normal telecom connection. Oh, oh like ADSL thing. or ADSL? Yeah, there's yeah. the word. Yeah. And um, and she's uh, like it. It just it's just frustrating. You know, it's after time it doesn't work, and then the speed drops when you need it. Obviously, at yes. two times it just goes to shit. So, yeah, at least that's you know slowly sort of getting better. Yeah. yeah, it's better with new packages and stuff that's available now. It just helps. Are you on but, fiber? Um, yeah. Are you on fiber? Oh, that's the word I couldn't get to. Fiber, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before the fiber days, it was. Yeah. yeah, it's the normal. It's like also clicking two or three times to get the website open, and then I want to climb in with a hammer because it won't open. In the meantime, it's just the internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it just be like a oh. a lottery when I came home from work, whether 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 oh, I was going to have an ADSL or not. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be yeah. so bl- and then like spend two hours on the phone to telecom. Yeah, thank God for fiber. Yeah. So, Hank, yeah, uh, where about do you stay so, in Cape Town? Um, Cape Town? We in the northern suburbs. So, okay. um, it's called Eitzig. It's sort of part of, depending on who you ask, part of Durbanville, that sort okay. of area. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, you, you've been at Cape Town, so you'll know where the Okavango and um, uh, Okavango Drive and uh, Cape yes. Gate and all of that. It's, yeah, yeah. it's sort of roughly down that direction. Yeah, my sister, uh, my sister lives down that area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we've been here for for quite a while. Um, I think we've been in this house now. We've uh, had for ten years, uh, but we've moved around the general area a couple of times before we eventually sort of settled and bought the house. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, have you always been in Cape Town or? No, I'm oh. an Afrikaans boyki from Louis Strichard in the Northern Transvaal. Okay. <laughs> uh, both my wife and, and I, um, she, from an early age, I spent my whole life there, um, schooling and all of that. Uh, my folks are still up there. Both our parents actually still live in Louis Strichard at the moment. Okay. So, um, yeah, I've been, I don't actually know the, how many years, but I've been in Cape Town for a good kind of number of years. Uh, my wife studied at Stellenbosch and I eventually tagged along or followed her down. Um, and did all kinds of crazy things and settled. So okay, awesome. Yeah, I've been um, I've been in Cape Town long enough to start calling people valleys and things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, proudly so. Yeah, proudly so. Well, I can like, my, my my only claim to fame is that I was born in Cape Town. <laughs> oh wow, well, yeah. And the rest <laughs> like of it right is Transvaal, man, <laughs> all the way. <laughs> Uh, it's so funny eh? how, how uh, that could be a thing or it can be a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, so I'm hanging on to the fact that I was born in Cape Town. But that's no, all I can to. say. <laughs> and that my folks my life. folks live down there, so... No, yeah, so at least we... you still you, like, properly worked in. You've got family and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, so if you grew up in, in the northern Transvaal... Um, so, I mean, what were you... Like, you living in town or you living on, on a farm or... So a little bit of no we so we um, my parents actually what's it now two years or something like that that they uh, ago that they sold the property uh, we I grew up on a small sort of small holding small farm outside of a uh, little town in Lestrichard mm-hmm. um, and uh, my parents or my dad's family um, had a farm close to uh, Banaliaskop um, just before Lestrichard that small little town. Um, so I was always between proper farm and, and our small holding. And like I said, I literally I was born in Lestrichard. I grew up on the small holding and I lived there my whole life uh, before probably moving away um, to Cape Town. Um, but yeah, it was always out of town. Um, I'm the youngest of four kids, so I had the, the, the run of the place. I was oh, probably well. younger as well. I'm <laughs> nine years younger than the, than the last one. So okay. <laughs> I literally had the, the run of the place, probably oh, awesome. so. So I mean, were you were you um, lucky enough to to learn to ride on the on the small holding and mess around? Or? Yeah, um, not not as early as I would have liked if I had my way. Um, I just got lucky. My parents. Um, it was always an issue, obviously, being that far out of town. Um, we went massively far out of town, less than ten k's, but still, you know, going to school and everything was always a, a story. Somebody had to. It had to be a school bus, um, which is how it started in the beginning. It's always school bus to school. Um, and then the community, the, the, the kids just grew up, so there wasn't enough of us to justify paying for the school bus. Um, and uh, when that fell away, it was obviously mom and dad had to drive into town to drop you off. Um, and then I was old enough, roughly at the same age, I was old enough to, to just ride a bicycle on my own. Um, so I was you know, using a bicycle, school and back when it's not raining or something like that, or I can catch a lift with uh, one of the folks. Um, and then when I turned 15, my dad 
Um, I think it was a bit of convincing that I wasn't aware of, but he managed to to get a, a like a ST fifty uh, cc Suzuki past my mom, um, which I couldn't ride on the road until I had a learner's, um, but I did. So <laughs> I rode it, I rode it around the small holding, you know, and up and down the road and on the on our on our small farm quite a bit, just to to learn to ride. I, a couple of you know spins on on made spikes, but never really rode myself um, up to that point. Uh, but then, um, yeah, then obviously I started riding to school and back and, you know, then you know, to the farm eventually and, and all over the show. So, but, you know, my love or the sickness that is motorcycling, my life started with, with my dad. He was always, uh, always had a bike, always rode bikes. Um, I, I was never really part of his riding sort of career, if you can call it that, or his riding times. Um, okay. He had a, he had a, not a massive accident but he had a nasty accident when i was about a year old oh. um, on a xl 500 honda um the, yeah the bike a bit of an incident with the bike and the kickstarter managed to go through his leg so he had a massive accident yeah it was nasty um, so, so much so that he he's all you know my as long as i know him he's had issues with his with his leg mm. um uh, so yeah, he rode a bit, but never as much as he did before. Basically, before that accident. Oh, right. So, um, so yeah, it, but the, you know the bikes is always there. There was a couple of trips and or short sort of town trips or you know around the around the province trips with my with my dad on the um, on the back of his bike. So it was always there. And then obviously when I was uh, old enough to to get my own, um, it just it just sort of started there. You know, for me in terms of riding myself. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's been. I suppose it's always been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I was that guy that uh, that uh, always wanted a bike, but my parents, my mom didn't want me to have a bike. I was always riding my mates' bikes, and I mean, yeah, you know, like from MBX fifties to um, a friend of mine had a um, two. I think it was two B one twenty Suzuki's, and we made oh. one. He made one bike out of it, and we used to cruise through the felt on this bike and. So I used to ride oh. quite a bit, but my mom didn't really. Well, I suppose maybe maybe she did know, because I did have an incident where I cut my foot open push starting the bike. The one time I had to go get stitches, so my mom had to take me. So obviously I had to explain where yeah, how, how, how it incident. happened. But uh, yeah, I was never allowed to own my so own funny. bike. So yeah, so I think yeah, I, I got lucky. It's my mom is exactly the same. She's not necessarily anti-bike as such. Um, not a big fan of motorcycles. Never never really loved riding with my dad or any of those sort of things. So for her, it was a like a practical solution or a practical uh, thing more than anything. But, um, um, yeah, I suppose she made peace with the fact that it, it's part of, you know, who he was and obviously naturally became part of who I am. So she couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Um, but I've had, especially now that my wife rides as well, I've had a couple of uh, speeches. Ah, there's a spot. <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> So, I mean, so this is the thing is like whenever, you know, whenever I meet, meet a woman, the first thing I've got to check with her is that, A, are you right with bikes? You know, yep. well, do you ride yourself? Do you like going in pillion? And well, if you don't like riding bikes or anything like that, well, next, please, kind of thing. Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, speed it, <laughs> yeah, like, I, like I, I, I joke with people, I always say to them, hey, listen, if you want to ride bikes, you've got to buy the bikes before you get married, because then they come yeah. as part of the package. Yeah, things because, change. Yeah. yeah, things change no, look, I mean, I mean, in reality, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense, or it's a lot better if, if your partner rides 
either on the back with you as a pillion or or with you. I mean, preferably with their own bike. Um, Because it just makes life just so much more enjoyable. Because, I mean, you can enjoy those kind of things together. No, I think, you know, uh, for me to absolutely speak of, you know, from experience with this, it was, um, uh, obviously, it was a big sickness of part of my life for a very long time. Um, my wife and I knew each other from school, so so she sort of knew that it was, you know, part of me, and, and it was one of those things that was always around. I didn't always have a bike, but it was always one of those things hanging around. Yeah. Um, and then when I eventually got uh, to a stage where I could buy the bike that I that I was dreaming about for so many years, um, you know, she na- she knew about this thing that's been in the back of my head, and you know, uh, you know, every chance you get, you try and buy the bike, but then it doesn't work out or whatever. So you know, she was part of that for a long time before yeah. I eventually bought the bike. Um, and then also like the, I mean, the silly stuff that I did, but the, she really got chucked into the deep end. We, uh, we had the bike for a couple of weeks. Um, and at the time I, I basically had the bike, um, or it took me, you know, a couple of weeks to get my learner's license because you do the learner's, learner's, learner's that expires, 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 <laughs> and never do the license. That's yes. me again. Yep. Same thing. And then eventually, um, I had this, I barely bought the bike and I had this big, massive plan riding through the country. So I had to do learner's license and license before December rocked around um, where I had this big trip planned. And I eventually made peace of the fact that if I if I don't get the license, I at least have the learners, I'm going to go regardless. Uh, but I got lucky and I got both of them done. And then we proceeded to the first real, I mean, we did a couple of, you know, breakfast runs, you can call them. Mm. Um, but the first real motorcycle sort of trip we did wasn't the weekend trip. It was just shy of 8,000 k's through the country. Oh, nice. So um, with her on the back of the bike, um, including most of uh, Lesotho, uh, fair chunk of Swaziland, um, and a bunch of other crazy stuff. So, mm. And that was Megan's first experience on a bike, um, really. You know, a couple of riding a scooter to university and that sort of stuff, but never really anything more than that. So, yeah, I really threw her in the deep end. Um, and I think uh, she would tell you as well, by the time we got home after this massive ride or massive sort of trip, um, we thought massive at that time, uh, <laughs> she she was like, okay, well, the only way this thing is going to fly is if I get my own bike and ride. Yeah. This being on the back of the bike thing is not working. Yeah. Because um, it, it was crazy. I did silly stuff. We had way too much luggage on the bike, mm. road tires on. We did Sony Pass, uh, all, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, so, you know, we went <laughs> Sounds like baptism of fire, actually. Uh, 100%, man. It was, <laughs> it was like a bonding moment. It was moment. just going to happen. Yeah. It was legendary. It was brilliant. It's still, you know, one of the nicest things we've done. But um, because you're so green, you just you experience everything, you know. Yeah, and I think because uh, um, I mean, when I when when I bought my my adventure bike, my uh, GS, I uh, the first trip I did, I also was doing it on these like uh, Turin's EXP tires, which were probably definitely not suited for dirt. First trip oh. I'd done, I went over Roybach Mountain. And I no was wonder. like, okay, this is so cool. But I mean, it's afterwards that you realize, holy shit, you know, that was quite, okay, yeah. I was on road tires. I was like heavily packed. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd never done any training. It's the first time I'd ridden dirt with a big bike. You know, like, like I actually had sleepless nights afterwards going, oh shit. Yeah, but if it you was think probably, about it, you did everything wrong. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean, also the experience. thing is, 
you're just like, oh, well, I had such a good time, you know. Yeah, I suppose mm. in a way, if I had known what, if I had known then what I knew afterwards, I, I probably would have been more cautious, and probably would have landed up hurting <laughs> myself or something. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. No, so same, what bike, same story with us. So what bike did um, you guys do their trip on? It was also a GS, uh, okay. 1200, um, right. so 07. I still own it. It's got okay. a million miles on it, and it's very, very tired, but um, it's it's still it's a little bit grumpy at me at the moment because I'm standing in the rain for a while. Oh, shit. But um, it starts and it runs and it does its thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, it's you were talking about the luggage and tires and stuff. It's exactly the same story we did. I had uh, the the beamer panniers on the bike, um, a little bag on the back, and 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 obviously my wife on the back. Um, road tires, I always joke and say the tumble dryer and the hair dryer and the dishwasher and everything was in the bike. We had no tools, no compressor, no puncture repair bugger all, none of that stuff. Yes. Um, through Lesotho, <laughs> up Sony Pass, I I I lost brakes halfway up Sony Pass. Um, rode through the rest of the country with broken spotlights. Never fell, but it just the road was crazy. I mean, this is, I don't know, a good couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so so stuff just happened, and we just soldiered on the our thing, you know. It yeah. didn't change the momentum. Uh, and it was such a, uh, such a, um, yeah, and it was, it was amazing. It was a bit crazy, but it was good. Yeah. And I'm sure you talk, still talk about that trip, though. Oh, you disappeared there. Here we go. Now you can hear me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys still talk about that trip and reminisce about that trip. Yeah. You know, no, we do. It it was, it's it's also sad in the sense because we've done a couple of uh, nice, really nice rides. Also, maybe half that amount of miles, but we've done some, you know, all the way up to, to actually to Thomas and then all the way up there to Nalspread and that area. Um, with um, with Megan on her own bike, so which is a whole different dynamic, and it's and it's amazing. But um, you know, if you're more experienced, there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes missing in a sense. It's yeah. it's a, it's it's also nice, and it's it's not like you. I should sit, go sit in a corner and complain that I you know I've been riding for a while and my wife rides and it's all terrible. It's not like that at all. It's really amazing, but it's different. Yeah, you've got, you're not you're not green and and it's everything is fresh and new. It's like going into a new place or a new country or a new bike or whatever. Yeah, it's it's just a little bit more exciting, you know, than something that you've done a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, um, which is exactly what that was for us. So it was yeah, just brilliant. Yeah, and I mean I'd before you to, did uh, that, to be uh, able to do something similar to that again. Yeah. So I don't know on what though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll find something. <laughs> so um, there's a couple of plans. <laughs> yeah, but um, before you um, did that long trip, did you do any sort of training before you did that, or were you? So, so the the whole story is I um, it was actually for my thirtieth birthday. My wife bought me because the, the dream at that point was about I think about ten or twelve years old. Um, it started with a with a eleven hundred GS with a square light. Yes, uh, my dad had a Beamer uh, many years before uh, I was born. My dad had a Beamer and. Um, I don't actually know the model um, or fan, but anyway, so it was also one of those things. My dad had one, so I wanted one. Um, and and at, at that era, it was the 1100GS, the square light. So that's sort of where, where my GS thing started. And it was it was always alive, and then eventually 1150s came around, and then the 1150 Adventure came around, and I was, I'm still in love with that bike. I'd love to have one of those. They're just spectacular things. 
Um, and uh, and obviously the 1200 was launched, so it, it came and gone came and gone a couple of times. Me wanting this this BMW bike, I tried to buy a couple of 650s that always something financially or business or something yeah. turned, and uh, you know your Bucky was more appropriate or whatever. Um, so um, <coughs> for my 30th birthday, my wife bought me a training voucher with a with a chap called Ronnie Desot. Um, and she was studying with his daughter at university. Um, and we became good friends because the, we were almost more friends with the mom and dad than we were with the kids, just purely because, you know, the mutual love of motorcycles. Um, and he did training. He still does some training from time to time in Cape Town. Um, and uh, anyway, so, yeah, she bought me for my 30th birthday. She bought me this uh, certificate, this training, not certificate, this uh, training voucher. Um and um, I didn't have a bike at the time. So eventually when I got, a couple of months later, when I got the time to go to the training, um, uh, anyway, so he had a bike, a spare bike. Um, sorry, he had a spare bike available. And he said, no worries, don't worry about the bike. I've got another bike. Pay me a couple of extra hundred bucks and you can use the bike that I've got here. So um, I eventually went for the training. Um, it was uh, just an intro to, to adventure riding, you know, the normal like a country track style or BMW style uh, intro course, day course. Um, I did the course in the day and um, and uh, at the end of the day, um, Ronnie said to me, look, we do a sand course the next day, which is obviously a, quite a lot more advanced, a little bit mm -hmm. crazier, but you, you seemed happy, you seemed comfortable. If you're keen, then pay me for the for the course, but don't stress about the bike. You can just, you know, use the same bike. I won't charge you for the rental again. And obviously I was, you know, in it to win it. So I was there the next day. And um, I did the same course and um, absolutely loved it. And the next Wednesday, that specific bike I did the course on was in my garage. Oh, nice. and, um, and that's, that's the bike I still own. <laughs> well so done. Um, it, it was just, it was just, yeah, just, it was, you know, it built up so much by that yeah. time that it just had to happen. Oh, well, well um, done. That's so yeah, awesome. I, well, it was, it was a, it's a 07, uh, 1200 adventure. Um, and that was Ronnie's uh, sort of own bike, but he was getting demo and, and, uh, and sort of pre-owned bikes from one of the dealers at the time um, that he was using for training purposes. Mm. So anyway, so I ended up buying his uh, his bike, but uh, yeah, and then like I said, it was I think four and a half, almost five weeks later, we were off on this big massive ride through the country. Awesome. <laughs> so just kind of <laughs> straight off to each other. Yeah, but uh, it was in my head for so many years, it was bound to happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's great. Um, <coughs> so and and your wife now <coughs> she's she's got her own bike. I mean, what like, what bike is she riding? So, so she started actually, you know, like I said, she had a little scooter in university, so yeah. she she knew the basics, but she never really rode like a, a normal bike clutch and, and and all of that. So I taught her how to ride on the on the twelve hundred. Right. Um, dropped it a couple of times, but anyway, those those days it, it still mattered. Now it's different. Mm -hmm. um, and then we bought a little Dakar uh, ninety two thousand and one. Sorry, two thousand and one model Dakar. Okay. With no mileage on it, I think it's less than I think twenty thousand k's or something on the clock. Uh, brilliant little bike, but as you can imagine, with that age and something that's been standing that long, it was always then the seal is buggered, and then it's the forks, and then it's that, and there's always never anything major, but there's always these little things that you have to tinker yeah. with. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, we eventually did like a whole bunch of stuff and really fixed the bike up nicely um, and then proceeded to sell it straight away and she bought uh, the last version of the Dakar which is that uh, BMW Citao the 650 Citao yeah, yeah. so she rode that for a, for a good while and that was a, a new bike um, and a, a lovely little bike as, as good as the Dakar it just looks different really it's a brilliant little bike um, and then I think it's a year and a half now or two years, maybe two years ago, um, she upgraded to an 800. So we're still on the 800 at the moment. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, she's on a GS 800. Um, never been a fan of the bike personally, I must say. Uh, I'm not an 800 fan for, for a couple of reasons, but um, the bike is... It's got you know progressive springs and stuff on it, so it's actually been slightly pumped as well. Yeah, I was um, going to say, because... That's the first thing that I notice on those bikes are the the front forks. Eh? First thing yeah, you need to yeah, replace. Yeah, to on that bike. Yeah. So, but yeah, she's you know she's happy with the choice um, on that bike, and it's it's served, served as well. It's really it's been a good bike, and with those tinkering little you know fork changes and that sort of stuff, it turned into a really nice bike. Um, and with the current age of mine, if I'm not on something new uh, and borrowed, then I then I do ride that bike often as well. Yeah. Uh, strangely. Yeah. And I mean, how tall is your wife? I mean, because I find I find the 800 is quite a quite a tall tall bike. Yeah. So so she's not that tall. Okay. Um, not nearly tall enough for that bike. Um, she's can she can pick one toe at a time. Oh, right. uh, with normal with normal shoes, it's a slight lean and a toe. Uh, with the bike boots on, decent style of adventure a set of adventure boots that she can get like one one you know proper dab down without having to lean the bike, mm. which has been uh, to me frustrating because she's hell of a confident. But you can imagine, you know, it throws your confidence around a little bit as soon as the terrain gets exciting. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, it's. You know, some of the stuff that I've gotten her to ride that, you know, it's actually just crazy, but anyway, <laughs> it happens. Um, you know, she would she would inevitably be somewhere, try and put her foot down, and then there's nothing, and then and then end up falling over. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because of the because of the bike, I think it made it it made it maybe a little bit more frustrating than it needed to be. But you know, it's a quarter of a percent of the time that you spend riding that that happens. The rest of the yeah. time, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, something like a actually, to be honest, um, for her sort of experience level and type of riding she's done before, uh, just a straightforward 1200 GS yeah, non-adventure would be the perfect bike for her. Mm, nice absolutely. and low, really controlled, um, and uh, and and she loves the bike. She's ridden the whole bunch of them before she bought the 800. I had a, a new LC um, at the time that I was riding. And I went to Donford's uh, uh, BMW in Cape Town and I fetched the 800. Um, and we we just rode around this sort of general Durbanville area, a bit of gravel, a bit of tar, um, and then swapped bikes and did the same sort of route in, in reverse. Mm. And by the time we got home, she said to me, no, 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 I like, yes, I agree, 1,200, yes, easier, nicer, better, blah, blah, blah. But these two things that stick out is just still too intimidating for me okay. um, and ended up going with 800. So, um, yeah, um, I think if, you know, by the time we get to buying a, a, another adventure bike for her, I'm sure it'll be 1200 12, um, yeah. It's just a sensible bike. I've gotten a couple of ladies off whatever they were riding onto that bike. Um, and if you're not, you know, if you don't want to go, you know, orange and fly over things, then mm. it's just an amazing bike, you know. Yeah. It's just a steady, you know, steam train. Yeah. 
because I mean, uh, when I was chatting to Thomas, he was, and we were just talking about, you know, the fact that there are a lot more ladies riding, um, mm, and, which amazing, is great, yeah. which is great, and all that kind of stuff. And he was just saying that, and uh, his comment was that so many of them are actually riding 1200 GSs or 1250s. Amen. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and he said some of them are are, are are riding those bikes better than some of the guys, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's like obvious people like Morag and those sort of girls yes. that's been in the industry for a while. That's that I don't even look at them because they that's what they do. Um, but I mean, if I look at some of the girls um, that were riding with us just for social riding and stuff like that, that I eventually actually three of them that I convinced to get off. Uh, 700 is the one. The one was on the 650, I think, and the other one was on a um, F800 Adventure. Um, and all three of them, I managed to convince and get them onto the GS Trophy 1200 Trophy model. Because yes. um, money, money-wise, compared to the bike they were, they weren't that far off because of the, you know, the the lowest sort of spec Specs, bike. Yeah. But my word, it was not one of them were like intimidated or you know thought it was a dumb idea or anything like that their riding only improved because of that bike again if you're going to go doing crazy off-road single track stuff then sure then maybe it's a different conversation um, but for the average type of adventure riding that the average girl ends up doing um you can't ask for better in my opinion oh yeah um they really just do the do the trick you know yeah well i'm so biased it's not funny because like yeah, i'm, I'm like you, man. so um <laughs> So my my sort of like first bike that I owned is I got I picked up a, um, a 1978 R80 Stroke Seven from a mate of mine, and this was my this is my bike, and I mean it had been standing like for ten years. And anyway, I got this thing going, and I obviously I needed to buy myself some apparel. You know, went on to Gumtree, and I found there was this guy that was selling one of these Airflow jackets, no. and I said, well, Okay, so I bought it off him, and when I went round to his place, he he's a lawyer here in Northcliffe, and he had like six bikes in his garage. It's like two Harleys, and he had a HP2 motor or whatever it was, and he had a Street Triple or one of the so he had that Rocket Three Triumph, but then he had a GS right at the end, and I said, oh, geez, man, these are beautiful bikes, and I'm like, you know, like you know, like how do you decide which one to ride? And he says, no, you just commutes on them and he swaps them out every week and everything but he says no actually because they're all new bikes eh? and i said to him but like you know he said no he rotates he actually even rotates the bikes every 18 months he'll sell dedicated sell them and then he'll buy another bike and you know you'll you know he'll try this model you'll try that model but he says there's one bike you'll never get rid of and that's the gs I said, oh, wow. okay. So he said, like, no, once you've ridden a GS, you'll always have a GS, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So I suppose <laughs> that is a bit of an exaggeration. But once I um, I went and test rode a, a 1200 GS, or, you know, the air-cooled one. Yeah. Before the LC came out, it's like, I've got to have this bike. And mm-hmm. pretty much like you were saying, like, within a, within a week, within about two weeks, I had the bike. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. So, and now, well, and now I love the GS. I, well, now I love the twelve hundred GS. I, I'm like, I can't. I like I ride the other bikes. I mean, I've got other bikes, and I'll, I'll ride those, and I enjoy those. But mm-hmm. I mean, for me, the, the, you know, what I like about the twelve hundred GS, well, you know, that style of bike. I'm just biased towards the BMWs. 
Sure, with the adventure style bike. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, you can climb on the bike. It's versatile. You can ride it in town. You can go out on a mm. uh, Sunday ride, breakfast run. You can tour on it. You can do a long, long trip on the tar. Yep. Hey, and then you see a, see a dirt road. You can take the dirt road. You know, that's the kind yeah. of, that's what I like about the versatility of the bike. And yeah. I suppose the trip. 1200GS is not the only model that you can do that on, but I'm just biased. So. <laughs> no, I, the thing is, I, I agree 100% with you. I, and I say this a lot of a lot of the time to people. I said, if you if you have to like go for the best in every every segment, then the GS would never it, it never gets there. It's not the best at anything. Yeah. Um, it's not the best sports bike. It's not the best adventure bike. It's not the best off road bike. But it sure should second or third. Mm. Um, and you can't say that for all of the other bikes. Yeah. They they sort of they're lacking, you know, massively in some segment. Yeah. And uh, I think it's if you can only have one, it's a no brainer. Um, if you get multiple bikes, then sure, you know, then then the book is open for you. Yeah, um, sure. You know, then you can say, okay, well, I'm buying it because it's a great tourer, but I'm not using it off road or whatever. Sure, that that works for some people, but for me, it's always been a, you know, you can't afford twenty bikes. Um, uh, and you know if you've got you know like I said my wife rides I ride so there's already two bikes you know it just it financially just becomes impossible yeah true so true, and yeah. if if I, as long as I can't have one of each then <laughs> it just makes You'll sense have one that, that, that can you have the most versatile one yeah, yeah exactly, that you yeah. can do anything with yeah um, it's also changed I must say uh, now that I'm in the position where I really honestly need to look at at, uh, at, a, at a newer bike. Um, I, I've been very spoiled. I've always, the last couple of years, I've had um, access to, you know, all kinds of bikes, new bikes and demo bikes and media bikes and all this sort of stuff, which has been um, just a little blessing in the in the background. Um, so I've, I haven't really been pushed to to having to upgrade, um, but uh, I have to now. You know, with the training and stuff as well, I don't yeah. have much of a choice but to have one decent bike that you know is. You know, is there for whenever you're not being spoiled. Um, so, and here comes the question is, what is the next bike? It's always been, to me, it's always been a, a simple question uh, or a simple answer. It's always been the Jazz. Um, and, and now I'm thinking, like, you know, just lifestyle. There's so many other things that I that I spend doing um, that maybe it's, you know, worth thinking of buying something like a, I don't know, 701, 690, something in that sort of segment. Because um, yeah. it also opens up a segment that I haven't been able to do for a long time that I also love, mm. um, sort of you know enduro riding and stuff. But yeah. gosh, man, it's such a difficult decision. Um, yeah. I've, I've got the I've got the GS sickness bad, um, and I just love that style of bike. You know, it's a it's a you can sit there all day and and you don't feel like you're dying at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Which is kind of what I live for. So yeah, it's it's a, it's not an easy question. It's, I've been asking it for a while, but <laughs> my, my answer hasn't changed. To be yeah. honest. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like you say, it's difficult. It really depends what you want to do with a bike. Um, like you say, if sure. you want to do some of the enduro stuff, then you know, like you need you need to have a lighter yeah. bike. Hundred yeah. percent. Because yeah. I mean, we can't all be Chris Birch and 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 ride a, a, a 1290 yeah. like a like an enduro bike you know <laughs> exactly. we'd love to it's a good advert for the bike it's a good i've dragged that damn 1200 out of things before and that you just you shouldn't be there you literally like 
you know, it's not fair to you or the people that ride with you or the poor bike that you're breaking. Yes. But, you know, it happens. <laughs> you end up in places where you shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And it's a hell of a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, if you're on a, on a, I don't know, 690 type of thing, then, you know, those places are just easier to get out. Yeah. But then also in the same breath, I've, I've done, you know, weekend rides and things that, that some, you know, Oak joins us with a 701 or a 690 or a, oh gosh, uh, even like 700 Beamers or there was one chap on a NC 750. And they, mm. they all enjoy the weekend. They have a ton of fun. We've had Buells and Holly Davidsons with us on off-road rides. Oh, wow. Um, they have a massively exciting, awesome ride. Um, but then there's little patches where, where, gosh, that I envy the guy on the 690 flying through hoops and things like it's an off-road bike and I'm, I'm sort of lagging because I'm on a big old beast. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, I get there and I jump off, and we can, you know, cook and socialize and do what we have to do. And the oak is walking all like bent and broken, yeah. um, spending a long, tough day on a bike. And for me, it was just another ride. And it's purely based on how comfortable the damn bike is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, <laughs> it takes one weekend like that to, to put you straight back into the GS box. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I submit. I mean, you know, I. Probably not riding as much dirt as I uh, as I would want to be, and then sure. you know when I get onto dirt now, it takes about twenty minutes, maybe forty five minutes for mm, me to get back simple. into the groove. And yes, and but then yeah. once once you're in the groove, I mean I just love the bike because the bike is just mm. you know once you yeah you know, once you got your confidence back, then the bike is just doing you know exactly what you wanted to do, and you're just having oh. so much fun, you know. Um, it's, it's the thing with these new things. Um, I've, uh, just, I'm absolutely in love with the 1250 HP um, edition. It's yes. such a phenomenal bike. It's just, it's just mind blowing how good that thing is. Because you know, it, it's sort of, it's been. I've ridden 1150s, and obviously the LC, the the air cools. I've sort of gone through the 1200 air cool. At least I've, I've had a couple of different models that I've spent quite a bit of time on. Um, and, and same with the LCs. I've ridden all of them for like you know, a good amount of Ks. Um, and the very first time I got to ride the, the 1250, I was on the the Beamer launch when they were launching those uh, 1250s. Um, I got, uh, again, I sort of just got lucky because I had the HP Adventure for, for the one day and then the HP um, Normal GS. Uh, HP Spec though, but the Normal GS, not the Adventure for the second day. So I was on the right model very much for the whole launch and then already it was just this bike is phenomenal it's just something there's a couple of things there that that's always been the lc's this is annoying me or on the air called you know it'd be nice if it had that and this bike has just got a nice package of everything except the little price tag thing that's uh, constantly just a problem just it's a little bit heavy on the on the one side here but as a as a machine it's a phenomenal bike um and i've i've had um i've had them for a couple of weekend rides and uh, and i did a um we did a it was advertised and booked as an intermediate training course. And then when the group came there, it's all guys that I knew um, or knew of, and they were all guys that's done other rides with me, and I, I kind of know their skill level. So we, we pushed the envelope a bit that weekend. Um, and I was on this HP, and it was just, I mean, some of the stuff we did was like a, I would say at least an advanced training course level, but it was beyond sort of stupid every now and then as well. Yeah, and that bike was just—it was just on par, like performing like a beast all the time. Yeah. Um, there was, there's a little um, <clears throat> on this farm that we do this training on. There's a really hectic little off-road section, um, and uh, and not, as you can imagine, you know, with 
with Africa Twins and 1290s and a nice mix of Af- um, 800 GSs, like a bunch of bikes, uh, even a 701 actually. And like the, I wasn't struggling at any stage riding that bike with my mate on the 701. We were riding together a lot of the time. And uh, you can't compare those bikes in any way, shape, or form, especially in really tough terrain. Uh, but that thing is phenomenal to such a point where, where we, you know, I wasn't struggling to keep up with him when he was pushing his luck a little bit and flying over really rough off-road steps and, you know, hectic climbs and things. The bike would just smile and take it. Um, so, yeah, it's if it wasn't for that price tag situation, yeah. I, would, I would love to put one of those in my garage. They're just yeah. amazing things. Yeah, I'm actually too scared to go ride it because then. Oh, you, you must know. do it. Um, <laughs> that is, no. you, you sort of spoiled for it, you know, afterwards, but yeah. um, it's 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 worth doing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's no, good I enough think, to just try. Yeah, I think I must. Uh, you know, now now that the lockdown's easing Lovely. up, uh, I think yeah. I need to go. But now you're saying that you got a you got a voucher from your wife to go for some bike training. Yeah. Now you are doing adventure mm. bike training. How did how did how did you get there? Um, so man, I, it's such a long, it feels like a long story. And if I look at the amount of years, it, it's starting to feel like it's a, it's a, it's a lot of time, but it, it really wasn't the stuff that happened fairly fast. It's only been, you know, basically 10 years now that I've been properly in it and not just sort of riding whatever I can, whenever I can. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so we, we bought the bike, we did this crazy trip, um, a Ronnie that I did the training with. He was uh, quite involved with the BMW club in Cape Town and recommended that if we want to just do more, you know, rides and socialize and just figure out where to go, um, that's a good place to start. So um, we eventually joined the club meeting and, you know, made a couple of mates and did a couple of rides. And uh, and then we were doing, we were, we had a, at that point uh, in the BMW club, we were, uh, a nice sort of big group of friends and we did all the off-road rides we did all the like camping trips and uh, at some stage we were doing two to three weekends a, a month we were on the bikes um, and all of those were off-road stuff we never did any of the real sort of tar rides or, or longer trips so it's just like weekends or two nights uh, uh, at worst yeah and then Megan and myself we would still go and do you know, longer trips wherever we can, maybe once a year, try and fit in something a little bit uh, like a week or two week ride. But we're doing all these weekend rides constantly. Um, and then in 2013, uh, the club got the opportunity to get uh, those days. It was called Motorrad Days or BMW Days or something like oh, that. Yeah. Um, and it was at Goudini Spa. So the club was hosting, obviously, uh, hosting the event, um, and uh, myself, uh, the then chairman, um, and, and a friend of ours decided that it might be a cool idea. They were actually the two guys that's more involved in, in, in that part of it. They said it would be a, such a cool idea to, to try and film this um, this event, this BMW event. Okay. Um, and um, which, which they then did. Um, I was involved with all the... Uh, all the filming and everything, but I, I also at the same time had a trip to Lesotho booked um, over the same weekend. That all uh, over, over, you know, it was twelve days, but it was slab bang in the middle of this, of this actual BMW event. So I was involved in all the like the B-roll stuff, you know, all the filming yeah. and all the production and stuff behind the uh, in the build up to it. But I never went to the actual event. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> 
So, and it was just a it was just a cool thing. Um, this mate of ours, Trevor uh, Fastfold, owns a production company. They do like TV ads and, and and that sort of stuff, voiceovers and TV ads and all these things. So it was a natural. Just he's just one of the mates, you know. If you've got a doctor, you go for a, a exam every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost one of those scenarios, you know. Um, and it was quite a cool thing. Um, and then when that was done, we, yeah, you know, we were just talking about it and saying like, you know, it's such a nice thing to do. Maybe what else can, can you do with it? Or, you know, what, what value is, is a motorcycle or a travel show or something like that have? Um, and, and Warren, the other chap that was involved, um, then basically had a conversation with Trevor and Trevor said, look, if you want to do something like this, try and write, write a script. We, we, we film one and we see how it, how it goes and what it feels like. But obviously these are, you know, none of us had the clue, uh, not our industry, not our day jobs. We like, you know, no idea how, it, how do you start or what it's all about. Yeah. And, uh, and Trevor actually said the best way to describe it or the best way he thinks you should put something like this together is to do a, um, like a, like a ride report, just write mm. a ride report like you think it would be. And then we go and do it. You know, then we go off and we go and do this ride report in reverse, basically, instead of having a really nice weekend and then writing about it, you basically reverse it. Um, and then, yeah. And then that started the whole TV series in a sense. Um, or that was the, the beginning days of it. There was a million things that happened, as you can imagine, just to get the first episode done. Sure. Um, it was, I was, I was there and I was part of the filming from from day one, but um, Warren was the only one on camera, like the talking head part of it. He was the only one doing it, but we were, you know, running around with boards and doing the writing shots and moving cameras and all that sort of stuff behind the scenes. Um, And uh, like the demo tape, if I can call it that, was a big old long, I think a 45-minute, you know, story. Yeah, sure. And then... And then, you know, now you've got this thing, what do you do with it? So it, it was sent out to all over the show to production companies, to uh, to network companies, to Motorrad Germany, and it just went all over the show and try and get some feedback, which you don't really get. Mm. Um, hell of a frustrating. The guys don't, you know, it's just, you know, chucked into file 13 and left there. Um, but anyway, we sort of carried on and refined and did this first episode with Warren only a couple of different times. Um, and then eventually, the you know Warren and Trevor sort of felt that there's, it's very difficult to just be one guy um, doing the, the talking heads side. There's no yeah. there's no sort of personality. There's no, you know, there's just no. It's very sort of flat and bland. There's no feeling to it. Um, which then is they eventually decided that I need to try this whole talking head thing um, and being on camera out with Warren and and, and then the the episode was split into basically two halves. Um, yeah, all you know, the script was split in two, so we have two personalities now on TV, and okay. we sort of you know give each other shit every now and then a little bit, and it just it was just something, someone, and something to play off with. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so long story short, that was really me taking this weekend adventure thing a little bit more seriously, and thinking that yes, you know what, that whole dream of doing something in the industry or making motorcycles. A day job more than just this thing you do from hopefully Friday afternoons to, to Sundays and maybe a week every year um, to try and get into the industry a bit more. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I've got some crazy opportunities. I did, um, I was doing um, Continental, one of the Continental motorcycle tire importers. I did the, I was the manager 
uh, sales manager, uh, national sales manager for, for a year. Um, and in between all these the TV series and just doing a lot of social rides, and we did a lot of social rides as a spin-off because of the TV series yeah. um, and a couple of tours, like, you know, multi-day trips. Um, and you would always be in a situation where there's somebody riding with you or somebody's wife wants to ride or something like that, and the guys are looking for training or they're looking for a bit of help. And, and it was just one of those random things that sort of, just actually happened. Um, you, you, you say, oh, yeah, no worries, bring your wife, we'll, we'll spend an afternoon with her. Um, and then, yeah, bring your four mates and we'll, you know, we'll take a day and, and have some fun. And no problem, join us for the weekend and we'll spend, you know, the Saturday afternoon in the sandpit and, and we'll work on, on getting you guys a bit more comfortable. Um, and, yeah, and it sort of slowly, slowly grew out from that. Um, and then what sort of really gave it or put it into second gear is um, I was at a, uh, Charlie Boorman event, funny enough, uh, with uh, Billy Ward got me involved with uh, a Charlie Boorman event in Cape Town. Mm. And um, that night I had, a, I had a tire display there for for the business I had at the time, uh, the Tire Fitting Center. And um, I had a chat with the chairman for uh, Kilani, the racetrack, um, out in sort of Bloberg direction. Yeah. The chairman was there, and he had a chat with me, and, and they had this piece of property in the back end of Kilani that used to be an MX track back in the day, and it's basically just sort of grown over and gone to rubbish, um, and it's just lying there. It's property they're not using. And they were just looking for something to do with it, and he wanted to know if I wouldn't be interested in somehow getting involved or considering adventure bike training or something, um, which then also took about a year for me to get my head around what to do with it. Um, but that, that really gave us like a bit of, like I said, put it into second gear and we, we thought, okay, well, there's a, there's a piece of ideal property to, to do training, but it was a long, long sort of path to get to the training part. We did, um, like adventure open bike event, just a couple of stalls, guys riding the track we built and it sort of grew from that. Uh, but then the, the whole idea ultimately was just to do training as a spinoff. So now the guy saw the track, they, they knew that it's out there. Um, they saw the name that we were using, um, and it just gave it a little bit of exposure. Um, and then we started doing, like, you know, a bit more professional training, if I can call it that. Yeah. Not just slapping it together once every now and then. Um, yeah, and that's that's you know a, a bit of a long-winded version of it, but that's really how how it started. It really was just a case of people wanting to. Uh, wanting to do a bit of, you know, asking questions and wanting to learn or and um, and spending time with us and we're seeing like, gosh, you know, a little bit of input and a little bit of advice goes a long way um, to doing a couple of small training courses with small groups and, and, and it's grown slowly, steadily from there. Um, and now it's sort of a, when I'm in South Africa, uh, you know, ex-COVID situations, yeah. but when I'm, when, I, when I'm here, I do, I do the training basically full-time um that was at least the plan for this year the time i would have spent in south africa it would have been training and training like events um and then um hopefully you know well, well anyway i'll spend my time on that and then i do um a tour guiding um for the second half of the year okay. which is now you know not also, happening. <laughs> also not happening thank, oh, thank you thank you to COVID. yeah yeah geez it must be a to yeah it must be very frustrating i mean you've got all these plans you're excited about them and then mm -hmm. you have this like speed yeah, 20, 2020 is special <laughs> <laughs> my wife was uh just before the call my wife was sitting there looking through all these facebook uh, sort of meme type things and, and reading some to me like you know all the 
like an Evo with a big massive pip and a tiny green liner and this is the 2020 Evo and all these sort of things. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's, it's really, <laughs> it's very, it's very appropriate. It's yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose one's got to try and see the funny side to it. Uh, yeah. But we understand the seriousness of it, yeah. Um, yeah. And the effect that it has on businesses like, like touring and... Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I mean, it's just... have to just carry on. Yeah. So, um, well, let's go back to the TV series quickly. Right. So, I mean, that just happened. So, I mean, was it always an idea to create it as a series or was it just like something that just happened? You try and do a film and then you know someone what? says, hey, well, why don't we try and see if yeah, we it can... Was it was something that that grew from a you know a whole bunch of beers with a with with you know a small group of people yeah um we we were just really just three three friends with four or five six people that we were always riding together but the three of us uh were the guys that was kind of always involved with the ride or you know warren was the chairman of the club so he was the organizer of the ride and we were the you know the, the tag-alongs that we did all these rides and there's lots of talking nonsense over beers around campfires. Mm. Um, and um, <clears throat> I, everybody, all three of us have got a different version of how, how the first conversation started, but I think it was, a, it was you know, multiple conversations. Um, it wasn't really one, but the one that I remember, funny, the reason I remember it because it's just different to what we normally did, it was um, in winter, and there was quite a lot of um, sort of rainfall predicted for the specific weekend. Um, and uh, and the you know BMW Club Fair, where the riders that we were at the time decided we're going to go with the vehicles into the tanker and do a recce of uh, a ride we were doing the, the weekend after this. Okay. Uh, and there was one little stretch of road that Warren wasn't sure about, and he hasn't been there for many years, so he wanted to go and check it out. So we were in three vehicles driving through the tanker uh, with two air radios. And, uh, and I remember we were talking about this old TV, TV series and travel program and, you know, we're going to do this thing. And, uh, and I remember Warren saying, um, you know, this is perfect. We've got somebody that can talk a lot of shit, meaning Warren. Mm. Uh, we've got somebody that, that knows how cameras works, meaning Trevor. And then he said, we've got somebody that can kind of ride a bike, which is me. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that was this random conversation on two-way radios in vehicles, which was completely, you know, awkward. It wasn't yeah. the sort of thing we ever did. But um, the, to me, that was like, you know, one of the one of the weekends that stand out as as that was a, a bit of a decision of actually going ahead and trying something, mm. which was then the spin-off of the Motorrad Days event thing in Goudini, and then it slowly just grew from that. Yeah. So so yeah, um, I think it's such a roller coaster, man. Um, obviously, you know, Afrikaans Boyki from Limpopo just being on camera and in, in, in a <laughs> different language already was, was far from anything I ever imagined doing. But uh, besides all of that, we, we did the, the demo tape a couple of times. We eventually did myself and Warren on it. And we had like one episode one that we thought was, uh, was sort of roughly the, uh, the format that, that we felt was, was good. Yeah. Um, and then we, proceeded to try and promote this and market it. And we went to crazy lengths to try and do this. Um, and we got a lot of mo motivation and momentum from Motorrad uh, Germany, actually. So at one stage we were, 
retiring and riding sponsored bikes with sponsored suits and, you know, flying around in private jets to, sorry, we, you know, no money and we're not supporting you at all. So it was just mm. like, you know, up and down up all the time. Down. Yeah, that must be frustrating. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's such an emotional roller coaster, lack of a better way of putting it. But we literally, we were, we were, we had a platform that was keen on our program. Um, we had a, a, a series virtually finished, like, uh, you know, the first six episodes were just about in the bag. There was like fine bit of, you know, bit of on, on set stuff that we had to go and film and fix and, and tons of editing, but basically we were right about done. Uh, we had a commitment from Motorrad Germany for a nice big fat check. We would have given us, um, uh, a little bit of budget, like four or five percent, let's call it ten percent of, of filming budget, but also it would have given us the money to get it on TV because yeah. you knew you had to pay to get it on TV, sure, which you obviously didn't in the beginning. So, so that was the that was we were right there. We um, we thought, okay, this is amazing. These guys are gonna. We were literally waiting for for payments. Mm. And then it just, it's a one-liner that came through. Sorry, you know, we overstretched with the budget this year. We won't be able to meet our commitment. So, sorry, there's no money coming through. Mm. Um, and we were literally, we were literally sitting there waiting for a, for a payment. And then the email came through instead of a payment. So, <laughs> you know, and then you, then you start over. You know, and everything is rubbish and everybody hates you and it's all terrible. Um, but what was quite interesting is one of the, one of the signatures on the email um from the market, then marketing team, uh, Modrad Germany, um, was Alexander Baraka. Um, okay. He was in Germany and he was just part of that marketing team that got copied in the whole thing. And that was about two weeks before, or two weeks after the announcement of Alexander Baraka that's taking over Modrad South Africa. So oh. the name just rang a bell along the line. Uh, Warren actually spotted the name and thought, oh gosh, I've seen this name somewhere, went looking for it and then realized, oh gosh, this is the guy we've been speaking to or one of the guys that's been in contact with us from Germany. So a um, couple of emails and phone calls, actually a whole bunch of random emails hoping that it sticks, mm-hmm. um, just with Alexander, you know, in different nominations <laughs> sent out to Madras, South Africa, just hoping something hits the board, which one did, uh, got an email back, and um, two days later, uh, Trevor was having lunch with him in, in, in the waterfront, and they had a, con- had a proper conversation. He committed to, to giving us the the, um, the broadcast fee, the broadcast money, So, uh, and that got got us on, on Ignition. Um, yeah, the wow. Ignition. The Ignition part of it, or the reason we got to Ignition was, was as long-winded, irritating story, but um, they were keen on having us, but not so keen on not getting paid for it. Um, and that was a lot of negotiation before we got to the amount that we eventually paid to get the thing broadcast. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, it was all these little things that sort of, a lot of them were just, you know, chalikis, just little accidents that happened yeah. and we got lucky. Um, there was a ton of working and a ton of, you know, spending money we, none of us had at the time for, for riding bikes and putting tires on and fixing things and, uh, uh, you know, paying for accommodation and food and all these things, but we all just went, you know, gung-ho into it and, and kept going um, until we got this broadcast money out of the blue and we thought, okay, gosh, you know, this is the one, this is this is going to do it. Um, and the thing was broadcast, there was a lot of really good, like, you know, figures and, and numbers and things coming back from Ignition or stuff that looked really good and we thought was amazing. 
um, and the feedback like on Facebook and social media sort of stuff that was coming from the from the audience was really good. So all of that gave us a lot of momentum to to do the second season. Um, and again, there was a nice big fat check uh, in the mail from BMW, who it's sort of it's it's on its way. Um, and then obviously, you know, that's that's brilliant. So now we we had all this momentum to get season two on the run, which we did. Got the thing filmed and got it all done. Uh, the check then sort of, you know, progressively got less as time went on to get to broadcast dates. But we got very lucky with the second season. Um, Ignition contacted us a couple of months before the second season was ready to to actually go. They contacted us and said, look, can we can we rebroadcast your first season? Um, and we were, yeah, yeah, for sure, no problem, but you guys are supposed to pay us now for it. Um, you're supposed to pay us for that content because you want it. We're not begging you. You want it now, but no, don't stress about it. You give us a good rate um, close to free for the second season, and then you, you go ahead and, and broadcast the first season as a rerun. Um, and by the time the rerun is done, our second season would be ready, and then obviously we pay you a bit less. And they, they signed up for it. They were They were keen on the idea. Cool. So we got the second season broadcast um, at a at a crazy, um, you know, it's just everything was just easier. It was a better rate, and it was way better for us. Uh, we got a decent, well, a decent in our budget, but a tiny percent of the realistic budget. We got a bit of money from from uh, from BMW eventually, so it gave us broadcast fees plus a little bit of accommodation fees and and, and mm. stuff along the way, which was really nice. You know, it was uh, nice to actually get something. It just felt like there was something happening. But I think the you know the we sort of the wind got taken out of the sails in a sense. Um, I started moving on doing more training stuff, and I wanted to do a lot more social rides and and um, and also like commercial rides. I wanted to to do bigger tours and things. Um, Trevor and the guys were doing a lot of just rides to the mates, like way back when when we started. Um, and sort of between all of that, we were trying to market this thing to a different and a bigger and an international or any other platform for that matter, mm. uh, to try and get it on a on a different channel or you know maybe an international channel or something. Um, and it all ultimately just it's just a budget thing. Um, you know, you've got you've got the content. I think the content, especially season one, to me is is debatable. Season two, I feel good about. Uh, you know, I think it's a it's a good quality product. At least, uh, definitely looking at how we did it and and like the way we put it together, it it, it turned out really really nice. Uh, but you need somebody that's got the budget to go to international trade shows and and physically put up a stall and market the content to to other platforms yeah. to discover in these sort of places, um, which none of us, you know, it was never any of us sort of day jobs or industry or anything like that. So we lost a lot of, I think, uh, motivation really, I suppose is the best way to put it, to, mm. to do those sort of things. It's just there wasn't a budget for it. Uh, we didn't have, you know, a couple of hundred K in the bank to, to draw off to go to Germany for a trade field, to go to the UK or any of those sort of things. Um, anyway, like I said, so the the, the training then became. Uh, I was involved with the tire business, uh, Continental at the time, and that became uh, eventually my own business. Um, and the focus just got, you know, sort of dragged off off the TV program. I'd love to do more of it. Mm. Um, I'd love to get back and do a season three or do something different or be involved in that industry. It's a lot of fun, especially the. You know, when the when the camera's not on you, uh, or when the pressure is not on you, and the cameras are still rolling, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah, I'm and sure. it's, it's a lot of fun. Sure. So, um, 
yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's just a cool thing to do. But mm. um, yeah, I don't, you know, who knows what, what the future holds <laughs> as far as that stuff goes. Yeah, it's such a crazy industry, man. It, like everything you think plus plus one hundred percent other stuff. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Just, yeah, look, I mean, because like I mean, like you were saying that you have to pay to get it onto Ignition TV. I mean, like I would never have thought that you. I would have thought it would be the other way around. You know that they would be paying you to have your shit yeah. on their channel. But you know, if you think about it, if you you know, if you're the you know, a couple of guys in Cape Town, South Africa, um, then you pay. If you're Jeremy Clarkson from Top Gear now, not Jeremy yeah. Clarkson twenty five years, years ago, ago from Top yeah. Gear, they pay you. Yeah. So it's all about it's it's like the Facebook marketing or Instagram marketing or, or any of these things. It's all rating YouTube, all these things. It's just all ratings and. Um, and, and, and figures and stuff behind the scenes. And when you get to a certain point, you can turn, you can monetize it. But before yeah. that point, it's just another other thing. It's just, you know, it's just stuff out there. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, we also didn't know. Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, you learned, <laughs> okay. you learned. Uh, but For now, sure. like, I mean, when you were filming it, I mean, like, how long would it take you to film an episode? I mean, is it a weekend? Gosh. Is it over a couple of weekends? Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> so... I mean, do it's you like a, say, okay, we need this shot. Okay, you go right down the road, and you ride back again, and I'll get it. Okay, but now I need you from this yep. angle. You go back again and come back again. Yes. Is that basically pretty much? That's uh, pretty much what it is. That's not uh, like a commercial uh, TV budget uh, yeah, yeah. or budgeted TV show doesn't work like that. You know, everybody's on set and everything gets done that day that you need to get, have done that day. And maybe tomorrow you go back to quickly touch up something that somebody forgot to push record on yes. or the sound wasn't great or something, but that wasn't our story at all. Uh, we, you know, we all had, I had a business at the time. I had a, a completely unrelated packaging business. Um, Warren had a day job. Trevor had a business to run. Um, so we had, if we're lucky, Friday afternoons, most of the time it was Saturdays and Sundays. We would chase out into Cedarburg, Tanqua, Overberg, whatever the episode was. Film, 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 everything we can. The Friday afternoon, film, 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 Sunday morning, you know, chase back into, into Cape Town and then Monday morning's day job. Yeah. And this just, we did this. I literally, I don't know if any one of us have like any form of realistic count of how many times we went to the Cedarburg to do the first episode. <laughs> We did, we did multiple weekends, like you know, tens of weekends to do the first demo tape with Warren, um, and then we did all of that again and again and again over with the two of us. Um, mm. And even when just before broadcast started, Trevor is a bit of a perfectionist, so there was stuff he wasn't happy with. So now we've had, you know, hundreds of weekends of practicing and stuff. So now that one that we did in the beginning is just not good enough for him. So we went back and did, you know, the first oh, episode a couple more times <laughs> to fix things. There's yeah. also not the, you know, I, I always, I'm very, not skeptic. I'm very sort of cautious of saying stuff like this because people perceive it different to what it is. But there's a, there's a farm in a bit valley that we I haven't been there for a long time, but we've always been good friends with the owners. Um, it's literally as you drive into the, Bitter Valley, the bottom end of the Cedarburg uh, farm is called Mertenhof. It's actually one of the farms in our in our in our episode uh, about that area. And we were staying at this farm, and about a kilometre and a half up the road, we were doing some on-camera shots. And Warren thought it's a clever idea to to butter up the tongues to put a bottle of Bain's whiskey in the tow box. <laughs> so we we were out there basically in this farm's driveway trying to do some on-camera stuff that we. Um, 
in the beginning of this one specific weekend and we were just like all i was really new to it so i was very nervous and it's really difficult to get your lines in um and it was just a battle um so we would try and do some lines and it was like a whole section of the one episode that we were there doing these lines setting up i think setting up the next week's episode or something um and uh, and we would go over it and then we'd like argue and walk to the top box and there's this whole you know flying hands and things in the air and going through the script kind of stuff and then yeah. swinging the bottle and putting it back in the top box and then so we we really quickly realized that besides the drinking and riding thing that's that inevitably is going to end up in a big disaster is this there's this tiny little window of maybe 10 15 minutes of perfection like yes you know the really good stuff uh, like Brad Pitt sort of stuff, and yeah. then it goes to shit, <laughs> like straight <laughs> after that, and it really goes downhill <laughs> very, very fast. So uh, there's lots of this sort of stuff, you know. It's, yeah. That's the that's the, the fun stuff, but um, the amount of time is just crazy, man. I I remember one weekend, same guy actually, Ronnie, um, that I bought my bike from. He was going up to um, Willamore. Yes, and uh, weekend, and I decided on a Thursday I'm going to join him for this ride to Willowmore. So we rode up the Thursday to um, uh, Prince Albert. We stayed in Prince Albert that night, and then the next day, uh, the Friday, I rode up uh, to Willowmore with him. And then when we got to Willowmore, I had a coffee or something, and then I flew back to Cape Town. So I rode all the way back to Cape Town, and uh, and I basically got. Back to Cape Town, sparked my bike, Warren, and then was outside with a camera van. And I jumped in the van and we went off filming. That sure. was one of the sort of one of the beginning episodes um, or the first episodes filming weekend. So there was lots of the sort of stuff that you do often. You just pressure at work and trying mm. to get some orders done, and then literally Friday, Friday afternoon, you you know, at 10, 11 o'clock or whatever, you you roll into home. And uh, jump in bed, and then six, seven o'clock the next morning, you you up on the bike, and we off. We're gonna go filming, and it just kept going, and just literally never stopped. It was just every weekend we were out there filming. Yeah. And um, you know, this went on for the for the you know as long as we were filming the the two seasons. It literally that was the that was the recipe. We were just at it pretty much all the time. Yeah. Um, and there was there was a whole bunch of them. Uh, it's just one of those weird things that happened, and I always remember it when you talk about the filming days, is that one weekend, sort of out of two or three months, sometimes you end up like one Saturday at home. Uh, we decided this weekend it's, you know, the weather's not great or, or we just need to re- learn scripts or whatever it is or there's something else going on um, that we, we're not going to go filming. Like clockwork, that bloody weekend was the end of the month. And then, obviously, you haven't been at home for so many weekends, so you had to quickly run into the local shop and do a couple of necessities. And I guarantee you, 100% of the time, it was the end of the month. Um, and I obviously love standing in queues and shops and things. Yeah. So it was I would I would get into such a huff, but you know, we'd we'd, we'd get home after a Sunday, a, a, a Saturday, quickly Saturday morning, running around the shops. You get home at one o'clock, and I'd sit on the couch in the house, bitching and moaning. How mm. uh, we never go anywhere, <laughs> we never do anything. We just have, end up in these stupid queues and these stupid shops, and I would literally sit and sulk there for like three or four hours <laughs> until I realized what the hell are you talking about. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's yeah. just silly stuff like that, you know. Always, yeah. uh, always comes back. <laughs> yeah, it sounds hectic. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it always looks, you know, like when you see the finished product, you're going, "Oh man, that's so cool! I'd love to be able to do that." But try and do it yourself. Try and 
Yeah, put a video together. Do I mean I've got I've got hours and hours of GoPro video I've never edited. Half of it is just tar in a straight line kind of stuff, you know. But you know what it's like. Yeah, Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I do I do I do appreciate the time and you know time that it takes to 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 do that stuff. So are those episodes still available somewhere or is it like Yeah. So the it's it's been on uh, like f- available for free on the on the YouTube channel. Look, just okay. look what you're missing YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, there's a um, it's a um, TV to Africa. I think it's Africa to TV, TV to Africa, something like that. Um, okay. It's a like a Netflix wannabe. Okay. Uh, maybe not the right way to say it, but you know what yeah. I mean. It's like a it's a small streaming platform service. Uh, yeah. streaming service. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Save it right there, Ben. Um, and they they marketing content into Africa, Botswana, Namibia, those sort of things. Um, so it's available on that platform as well. Uh, but like obviously it's for free on YouTube and it's freely available there. Awesome. Um, awesome. So it's and it's been out there since sort of broadcast and everything stopped and we weren't actively trying to get it onto the next platform anymore. Um, it was opened up. For, for everyone to view yeah so uh, so yeah it's it is still it is still out there okay cool cool that's good right there you have part one of my conversation with Hen Kutsia thanks for listening this far if you made it this far uh, if you are enjoying the podcast please go and rate and review the podcast on Apple podcast follow us on Spotify and if you would like to reach out and have a conversation please do so via Facebook and Instagram If you're listening to this episode or any of the other episodes on your favorite podcasting app, but you would like to watch the video version of this, please go to YouTube, search The Bearded Fen, and you'll find all the latest episodes in video format. And that, my friends, is the end. I'll catch you next time.